Thank you for joining us on another Tuesday morning here. Things are getting a little chillier. The weather was a bit, bit chilly yesterday, so we're not getting the snow I think that we're all hoping for, but the winter temperatures are starting to come. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to announce though, that I, I am prepared. So I was at uh, Costco the other day, and I got a new pair of men's life pants that I am showing off today. Now, so I'm in Costco where, of course, where most middle-aged men's clothes shopping trips eventually end at some point. Uh, and I noticed they had these new fleece-lined pants. Whoa. So I had to get those. Now, I, why, why do I call them my men's life pants? Well, some of you may know that uh, our small group meets upstairs in one of the, the loft areas. And I know you think, oh, great, the MC gets the cushy place with the couches and the coffee tables and have, well, nice work if you can get it. It is freezing up there, okay? So we're usually up there, and there's a window that's kind of open and never shuts and is banging around. Uh, so we got to bundle up. Now, we thought we had it figured out a couple years ago because they had what looked like an electric fireplace, you know, one of those faw fireplaces that you plug in. So we thought, well, this is great. And then when it finally got colder, you know, we turned it on, and it turns out it's just a light bulb with, like, a piece of orange cellophane that flops. In the, there's no heat. So anyway, so I got my my new men's life winter pants from and since they were from Costco they came on a pallet of 24 so I've got a new pair I can wear every day of, of, of the winter this is fantastic hey great to see you all here so many masked faces as, as always thank you for hanging in there with the masks I know we're all worn out by this uh, by, by this point um, it's uh, it's tough. It's hard to gather, and you know, you know. I was uh, last time I was in church with our kids. You know, we're all masked up, and I'm kind of feeling sorry for them. And I was kind of apologizing to them, like, "Hey guys, I'm I'm sorry we have to go through this. Appreciate you hanging in there." They said, "No, Dad, it's great. You know, wearing masks in church is fantastic because." Your parents don't know you're not singing, and nobody sees you when you're yawning. This is fantastic. So, now the, uh, the the youths have done, I think, okay with the mask. I was reading an article the other day about how, actually, it's been a godsend for a lot of middle schoolers and and early high schoolers because a lot of them are getting braces during this time, and nobody has to know, and all the acne and every like it's just there's there's a lot of middle schoolers that are like, thank you, thank you, this is great. So hang in there with those masks. All right, we got a couple things to bring to your attention here by way of announcements. First of all, let's just update a lot, a lot of health things going on in our men's life community. We want to update you on particularly as it relates to Steve and Charles. So I got the uh, most recent update, hot off the press here. Let me just uh, read you straight um, from what Steve had to share with me. So Steve Diebel is uh, steadily improving, thank God for that, waiting for blood pressure to be more consistent, starting to walk a little more, beginning to have an appetite. All right, good. So he's missing that oatmeal out there for sure. Okay, he is out of the ICU but not having visitors. Quick update on Charles Coffee. They removed the ventilator, but still has that, you know, that trach tube that goes down your throat. Uh, so he's still got that. Uh, 
the staff had a big get-together. They are going in, into his heart today to evaluate the damage and make a plan of action. So he sleeps quite a bit. Hard to understand his speech with the, with the trach tube in. So, you know, he's hanging in there, but, um, you know, it's tough. Why don't we just pause right now? Let's, uh, let's lift up these guys in prayer, but let's also be mindful. We know there's, there's a lot going on in our community as well. There's a lot of rejoicing happening. There's a lot of mourning happening. There's other people facing various health issues. So let's just pause and, uh, and, and talk to our, our God this morning about what's going on. So good morning, Lord. We are, we are grateful to be here. We're thankful that you are here in our midst, guiding us, directing us, encouraging us. We lift up our brothers to you, specifically Charles and Steve, and the, uh, the health issues that we've, we've already talked about this morning. We pray for resolution to their health condition. We pray that your will would be done. We, we don't always understand, of course, the mysteries of life and death and health and pain. But we know that you do, and we know that you are with us and with them and their families during this time. We also know that there's lots of other pain, discomfort, frustration, health issues in our community this morning. And we're just going to, let's just pause and name those things quietly. Lord, we're grateful that we can come to you, the, uh, the great physician, the healer, the encourager. We bring these prayers to you. We ask for your help and guidance. And as we transition to our teaching time a little bit later, we ask you to be with Mike. Uh, let the words of his mouth be your words, your guidance. Give us your discernment as we learn more about the Holy Spirit. So we're thankful for the opportunity to gather. We're thankful for the food that you provided, all the help that goes into putting this together. And we ask for your blessing on our time here together this morning. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, a couple more things to uh, update you on here before we get started. So first of all, uh, how many of you have heard about the sandwich ministry that we have? I didn't know we had a sandwich ministry. I just learned about this recently. All right, okay. So something to update you on because it does impact or is related to some things we just heard about with, uh, with Steve and Charles. So for almost a year, about nine months now, men's ministry has been preparing sandwiches, some sack lunches for the homeless every Tuesday. And they're distributed out there, you know, the Boulder Band shell kind of at the corner of, what is that, Broadway and Canyon, I think. Yeah, so that, that's where they get distributed. <coughs> so this is... Um been, you know, pretty well received. It's coordinated by an organization called Feet Forward, which is a local organization that connects with different churches and other groups to help do this. Okay, so here's why this is an announcement. We need some help. So two of the more prominent volunteers in that group were Steve and Charles. Obviously, they are uh, not available to serve in, in the full capacity. So we're looking for, what do we got here, about four to five new volunteers to help with sandwiches. So if you've got some culinary skills, you know, all those skills from those PB&J days back in whenever, uh, we would love to have your help. So if you are willing to help with this effort, okay, so I think Steve had sent out an email about that. It was included. So one of the emails from Steve, or you can just check with him individually. But if you've got some time on Tuesday mornings to help with that, or whether the preparation or the distribution, we would really love your assistance. So if, if you're looking to get plugged in or help out some way, please consider this opportunity. 
Okay. One other announcement uh, about next week, and then uh, kind of an important thing I need to bring to your attention. We'll get to that here in a second. So next week is our final week before the the Christmas break, okay? So here's what we're going to do. Mike is actually out of town, so we've got a guest speaker. And a guest speaker we really want you to be here for. You're not going to want to miss this. So how many of you are familiar with, uh, with Marvin? Used to be part of our... Yeah, okay. A number of folks here. So... I think we've got an announcement. Yeah, here we go. So we've got an announcement here. So Marvin has been part of Men's Life previously, and you can see the information here. And he has got a story to tell and a story that uh, you're going to want to hear. It's going to be a story of, of some ups and downs of God's provision, God's discernment, God's will. You know, some experiences most of us probably haven't had. And that's one of the great things about what we do when we gather, not just here at Men's Life, but in the church overall, is that we learn from each other. We, we connect with each other's stories. We develop a sense of empathy and compassion and perspective from the lived experiences of other people. So I hope you'll join us next week as Marvin comes here to be our guest speaker and share his story. So stay tuned for that. Okay, final thing here before we transition to our teaching time. Something important I wanted to bring to your attention. You know, if you, uh, you know, keep an eye on the trends and what's going on in our society, you know that one of the challenges of, of manhood here in the modern world is a sense of isolation, a sense of displacement. There's a bit of an identity crisis when it comes to manhood and masculinity. Who are we? What does it mean to be a man in our society? And it can be difficult to find answers, especially as it entails connecting with other people. Now, that's one of the things that's great about men's life is that we have the opportunity to connect with each other, to share our stories, to hear from each other, have a cup of coffee together, hear what's going on. But there are some other opportunities that are starting to spring up in our society to really help address what many have called a crisis of masculinity, of ways to connect, to have meaningful relationships with other guys. And, you know, given the severity of that problem, I wanted to introduce you to a new opportunity you might want to take advantage of uh, in our community in the near future. Take it away, guys. to studies, many men say they have no close friendships. And three in four report receiving all their emotional support from their wife or girlfriend, often the moment they come home from work. Hi, how are you? I miss you. Am I balding? Dune? Okay, cool. Hi, honey. Vin Diesel has a twin brother. Oh, honey. When I walk in the door, my husband sort of rockets information at me for 25 minutes straight. On a football team, there's 11 players, but with rugby, there's 15. And all the words come out fast and in the wrong order because he hasn't spoken to anyone else that day. I need you to go out of the house and make a friend so you talk to other people about this stuff and not just me. That's insane. Where would I even go? Finally, there's a place with Man Park. It's like a dog park, but for guys in relationships so they can make friends and have an outlet besides their girlfriends and wives. Rise and grind? Rise and grind. <laughs> Rise and grind, brother! Look, they're networking. Oh, they're doing so good. Which one's yours? He's a little shy. Go say hi. It's not their fault masculinity makes intimacy so hard. Marvel? Marvel. 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 Marvel.
get along. So they're separate parks for large breeds. Pats. Raven. Pats. Raven. Pats. And small breeds. Rick Morty. Rick Morty. Rick Morty. Rick. There's room for all their favorite male bonding activities. Because I'm Mr. Brightside. And after they run around and yell, they can cool down with an IPA and really connect. Real talk. Who's the GOAT? Michael Jordan or Tom Brady? How about Bo Burnham? Will you be my best man? We haven't even engaged yet. I'm so glad he has someone else to talk to. Hey, hey, did you know Vin Diesel has a twin brother? What? Yeah, amazing! <laughs> Why is that what they're talking about? Men are taught that it's weak to rely on each other. So I guess in that way, and don't quote me on this, it's harder to be a man. Wait, no, is this filming? Don't show my face saying that. Man, ladies get in free. <laughs> I'm so glad Matt has fun stuff to get us going in the morning. He's just doing a great job. Thank you so much, Matt. And uh, good to be here again today. Sorry I can't be here next week. Uh, I have a long-standing engagement that uh, we're going to be taking part in. And so that's what's come up. But also because I'll miss that wonderful testimony. That looks wonderful. So appreciate you being here this morning. Uh, we've been examining four verbs over the last four weeks that are used in the New Testament to describe life with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we've detailed three of them so far. We want to be continually filled with the Spirit, a positive one. Then we mentioned a negative, that we don't want to quench the Spirit. Last week, another positive, we want to keep in step with, to walk with the Spirit each day. And today we're going to take a look at the fourth one, which is don't grieve. So we've got two that we really want to do, keep in step with and be continually filled with, and two we don't want to do at all, which is to quench or, and or grieve the Spirit. All right? So um, we're going to take a look at that don't grieve, but to start us off, a little review, and uh, in Ephesians 4, uh, we're going to find it says in verse 30, don't um, grieve the Spirit, but we're going to start in verse 21 to get us kind of aware of where we are right now in our walking with the Spirit. Ephesians 4, verse 21, since you have heard about Jesus... And have learned the truth that comes from him. Again, we started this time off. This is all the teaching of Jesus and his sending his spirit to be with us. How much we need that. So if Jesus is telling us this is something we need to, to really hold on to and understand and let free in our life the work of the Spirit, then let's really listen this morning again and really put this into practice. So it's, we've heard this about Jesus. We've learned the truth that comes from him. What do we do? We throw off our old sinful nature. We talked about cruci- keeping it crucified. Christ put it to death on the cross. That sinful nature no longer has sway over us. We want to keep it dead. We want to throw it off. And our former way of living, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let us, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. We have this amazing gift that comes in this salvation from God. That's not just for eternity, but it's for now. This way that we can choose to live now in the power of Christ's Spirit. To bring more of God's abundant life present among us. In our relationships, in our daily experiences. Our lives once displayed these old 
sin, ways, corruptions with warped desires, harmful deceptions. But that's our past now. We've got to start thinking anew. Notice he says we have to have this new mind. Renew our thoughts. Renew our attitudes about our daily lives. That's the way we used to be. That's not us anymore. We don't have to live that way. We're not enslaved anymore by our old sin nature. We have a new life. A new nature in Christ. Our future is the glorious kingdom of a God. And our present is learning what that means to walk in the Spirit today. So we want to be renewed in our thoughts and our attitudes. We want to seek the true, righteous, and holy excellence of the Lord. He really wants for us. We can't do it in our own strength. We've said that over and over, so I'll repeat it again. I need to hear that. I need to hear that all the time. We want to let the Spirit renew us from the inside out. Heart, mind, body, and soul. We keep the old life dead and we live in the Spirit. So we want to work alongside the Spirit, not against Him. And so in Ephesians 4, 25-29, Paul is going to list five ways that we change from quenching to work, working with, walking with, living in the Spirit each day. But these five ways are things that we need to, to apply and live out. They require changes to our everyday practical behaviors. Verse 25, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. So the first thing Paul wants to tell us is, be done with lies, be done with falsehood, speak the truth. We've got the truth that sets us free. Remember Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth that sets us free to live this abundant life. And he says the Spirit is the, one that is the bringer of the truth. So we're all about truth. We're all about living these lives of truth and honesty. We gather together as men. We can support each other in that way on these Tuesday mornings. We can take that into our relationships at work and home, wherever we are. We want nothing to do anymore with the lies that used to entrap us, with the deceit that used to, to be the false facades we are always putting on. When we're tempted to hide something, to lie about it, instead we want to seek the Spirit's help to bring into the open our need for healing and to discover that greater way of living. So first, put off the falsehoods. Secondly, verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Again, I've shared with you, this is something I've, I've thought about a lot and dealt with a lot in my life. And how to overcome this anger that was is latent within me and in, in the family. Uh, Paul tells us that we need to find healthy ways to deal with our anger. Notice here, he says, in your anger do not sin. Because we're all going to have anger. And some anger is good. So he's not talking about have no anger. We're going to have some anger. And some of it we need. We need to be angry at things that harm. That hurt others. That are not of God. That tear people down. We need to be angry against that kind of behavior in our world today. So we don't have no anger. Neither do we have blow anger, which is what I used to experience. Maybe some of you. Blowing up, you know, that kind of reactive. All of a sudden it hits us and boom, you know. You know some people say there's two ways people generally have anger. Either a skunk, and as soon as it hits you, everybody knows it. Or you're one of those quiet types that keeps it inside and keeps it inside, but there it's just turning around and around, and you're not dealing with it in healthy ways, and eventually it's going to blow up too. So either way, it's going to make a big stink. So we don't have, we don't have no anger, 
nor blow anger. Instead, we want to have slow anger. Right? Slow anger. We're to be like the Lord who is slow to anger. God gets angry at the things that harm us in this world. His beautiful creation. He's slow to anger though. He lives out his compassionate love and takes a righteous anger. A healthy anger. And so we want to learn how to do that. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. It's one way to do that. Learn to deal with it in, heavy, in healthy ways, in constructive, not destructive actions. Verse 27, the third thing. Paul says, don't give the devil a foothold. A foothold is leaving an opening for the devil. The devil's very real. Very real. Now, there's a lot of teaching on this that I'd love to go in with you on sometime, on the spiritual warfare we're involved with every day. But just very briefly, there's big misconceptions people have about what's going on with the devil and Jesus. You've got an evil spirit and you've got the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people think that's like Star Wars, where you've got the good force and the bad force, right? The dark force. And they're equal to each other, and who knows who's going ha- to win. That's what the whole keeps the Star Wars franchise going. Because you never know from movie to movie who's going to win and who's going to have the upper hand. Friends, that is not the teaching of the Bible. That's not the experience we have in Christ. Christ is always the victor. Christ always wins. There's not a dualism in our belief. God is on the throne and nothing's going to remove him from the throne. Amen? I mean, that is, we rely on that. He is faithful to us always. Nothing can stop the work of God on our behalf for our greater good. He even allows Satan to do what he's doing to draw us closer to God. This whole world we're living in now is the elementary school that is teaching us a lesson of how we want to avoid evil and the evil one and draw close to God and live in his spirit. That's the only reason God allows the evil one to be around is to show people how much they need to know the love that God has so greatly for them and the life he wants for them. So evil cannot possess followers of Jesus. Evil cannot win unless we give evil, unless we give Satan footholds to grab hold of our situations and mess them up. So we don't want to give the devil a foothold. If we live in that ego world, Satan's going to push us right off that cliff. If we get impatient, the demons are going to rush us right into foolish actions. But instead, we want to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. So we want to love, not hate. We want to rejoice, not despair. We want to seek peace, not conflict. We want to learn patience, not impulsiveness. We want to be kind, not harsh. Be good, not bad. Faithfully commit, not waver. Be gentle, not rough. Have self-control in the Spirit, not self-indulgence. Seeking the power of the Spirit every day. The more we seek out the fruit of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit in our lives, there's no room left for the work of the evil one. We don't want to give him any footholds. Verse 28. 
Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that, that they may have something to share with those in need. So far forth, Paul is telling us, replace stealing and laziness and wastefulness with useful, purposeful, meaningful pursuits in our lives. We waste so much time. Our society is so good at escapism and wasting time. Our culture is all about that. With the the pursuits of, of things that are not so important. And you can look in your own life and say, where am I using my time well and where am I not using it well? Easy to see. Easy to discover and to pray about it and ask the Spirit to lead us in change. Now, God is amazing in that he intends each of us to live not only a meaningful, abundant life, but a purposeful life here. So again, we're in this elementary school in which we're really learning two things. We're not taken right away. As soon as you become a Christian, you're not suddenly beamed up into God's kingdom. There's two reasons why that doesn't happen. God's got a purpose for our lives. The first is that we can learn how to live and walk with him. Each day, preparing us for that even greater walk we're going to have face to face with God forever. But secondly, that we can witness. That we can share this amazing word of truth, this amazing word of freedom, this amazing word of salvation that we call a good news because it is. People need the good news around us. And so He gives each of us a ministry. According to how he designed each of us. And we're talking about that more in, the, in January and February. How God designed us with in, innate abilities and talents. But, and even more so that the Spirit, Holy Spirit gives each of us spiritual gifts. That go along with how he designed us in our personality and our being. To fulfill a greater purpose of building up his kingdom. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. It's so exciting to see that that's how the Spirit intends for us to live now in meaningful, purposeful ways. So let's stop wasting our time. Let's stop living in laziness. Let's replace that with our useful, purposeful, meaningful life that God wants us to live. Verse 29, the fifth uh, thing that God wants us to do to keep close in step with Him. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. So we need to replace degrading, unwholesome, coarse, foolish talk with helpful, encouraging, uplifting, and wise talk. Now, uh, in my time, and I'm sure as yours as well, we, we find that the language of the shop or the locker room or the construction site or many other places where men like to gather around the men's park is often filled with a lot of nasty language. I'm not talking just about the swear words. I'm just talking about the ways that uh, men like to get into things which really hurt others, cut each other down, judge others, uh, tear people apart. Um, and I find it odd because I've, I've, I've been a pastor for over 40 years and, and, and sometimes when you get around other pastors or some pastors who, who they, they want to kind of break through this goody two-shoes image that people have of pastors uh, that, that we're not always so, you know, uh, nice. 
So they use swear words. Making you think that that's somehow going to cut the ice and, you know, make it seem like they're just natural, normal people. Well, we're not natural, normal people. That doesn't work. By using the language, the coarseness, the de degradation talking of the world around us doesn't keep us as light of the world. What does? When we're men who decide that in our words, because every word is, does count, in our relationships, that we're going to build up, that we're going to encourage I'm going to be there for people and they know they can trust on us to be men of integrity. I love that word. Where our insides and our outsides match up. This is what the Spirit wants in our lives. Followers of Jesus talk in a way that builds others up, not tears them down. To speak with wisdom and compassion. So these are five ways that we can no longer live in that old sinful way of life without God destructiveness, chaos, but now learn to turn and keep facing in the direction of God and working our way in that way to build up our lives and enhance our relationships and serve God in, our, in His kingdom. But when we reject that, when we refuse to do that, it causes what we're going to talk about now for the rest of the time in my message this morning. Grief to the Spirit. We grieve the Spirit when we reject the Spirit. When we know something is right, good, and healthy in the Lord, and yet we refuse to do those things, we grieve the Spirit. How does it make you feel when you really have someone's best in your heart and you go and try and help them and you say to them, I'd really like to help you with this and in what you're going through and they say no, don't want your help. That grieves us, right? Especially if it's someone we really love, member of our family, dear brother, love to come alongside you in this. No, don't want your help. Just want to do what I'm going to do. And even though you know and they know that's not helpful. But they continue in those behaviors. That grieves us to see that. As a dad, when I see my children or grandchildren doing those things that I just know are going to be harmful to them. But since my children are in their 30s now and think they know everything. Sorry guys who are in their 30s. <laughs> By the time you hit 67, you kind of realize that when I was in my 30s, I was not as... Wise as I thought. And some of you who are in your 90s are looking at me and saying, 67, that's young. He doesn't know much either. <laughs> we're in this school of learning together. And when we don't listen to each other, then when we really try to care for each other and love each other and help each other, that grieves us. So what does it really mean to grieve the Spirit? Well, in Ephesians 4, 30-32, now Paul addresses that specifically. He says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here's these things we want to no longer have part of. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. See, that's no longer who we are. Put those things away. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. That's what we're about now. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. 
But we grieve the Spirit when we continue to hold on to that old way of life without God, the bitterness, rage, and anger, and we will not turn and forgive and be compassionate and kind. It's interesting that those are the the actions that he calls us to first and foremost. But isn't that what he, he says? That's what Jesus did for us when we deserved wrath. He gave us mercy. When we deserve judgment, He gave us grace. When we turned away, He never stopped loving. But when we turn away, and we know that's what we should not be doing, that grieves this God who loves us so much. Now some people think that God gets a kick out of giving us rules and watching us break them. Other people think that God's rules are arbitrary and that they can be disobeyed without any real bad consequences. I hope that we don't go down either of these paths of thinking because that's not true. God loves us so much. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to do well. He wants us to have this abundant life. That's why he's come and lived and died for us and rose again. That's why he sends us his spirit that we can live out these lives. Of joy and meaning and purpose and love. But when we say no to that, that grieves him. And there's a warning to that. If we continue in those ways, they'll lead us to separation from God. And cause great harm in our lives. Now, I want you to understand this. That all of us do grieve the Spirit when we forget who we are. When we don't remember the promise of God to be with us in each situation and guide us. And we're going to do that. And we're, again, we're in this elementary school of learning. We're going to, we need to be taught that over and over and over again. I'm talking about our kids and our grandkids and so forth. You just see how it's just got to take that daily repetition of learning what's really going to be good for them and how many times they they fail. And that's okay. That's why we've got this love as parents, grandparents, to really keep loving them through that tough time. And that's what God does with us. And again, that's the grace we need. Now that happens with all of us. But there's a greater grieving of the Holy Spirit that, that won't happen to us if we've truly given our life to Christ. It just won't happen. God guarantees that he's going to bring salvation. Sometimes, even though we kick and scream all the way, and sometimes even, Paul says in Corinthians, sometimes we are saved only by the skin of our teeth. But God, once God claims us, nothing can break that claim upon our lives. What an amazing God. What an amazing grace. But that's not true with all people. Because not all people, even though they look like they have made a commitment, and they act and they talk that way, truly inside they haven't. And so there's a deeper grieving of the Spirit that the Bible calls the unforgivable sin. Are you familiar with that concept? It's a real tough one. Because there's a lot of misunderstanding about what is the unforgivable sin. Well, let's look directly at what the Scripture says about it so that we remove the misunderstandings. It's not just what we think about it. It's what Jesus said about it. It's what the Scriptures teach. It's what God wants us to know. What is the unforgivable sin? Hopefully this will clear up some misunderstanding. Maybe even help you realize how much God loves you and works with you in spite of your grieving him. 
but not ultimately. You know, give that assurance of your salvation that, that you need to live in tough times. And maybe understand how there are some people that though they talk the game, they're not walking it. And that's unforgivable. Why? Well, let's look in Matthew 12, 31 to 32. Jesus' words. So I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. What's he mean? What's this blasphemy? Well, he goes on to say, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Hmm. What does he mean? How, how do we speak blasphemous against the Spirit and blasphemy? Well, the best way to understand things that Jesus taught are sometimes to look in what his apostles also taught. What does the Bible say, you know? of the great truths of Jesus. Jesus had only so much time with his disciples and he, remember, he said that the Spirit will bring to your mind what I said and bring his, my truth alive in your lives. And so the apostles, as they lived out the teaching of Jesus and taught that to others, the Spirit is continually bringing back to their mind what Jesus was saying. And so the apostle Paul in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 4 to 6, gives us his understanding of what the Spirit is teaching about what Jesus meant about this blasphemy against the Spirit. He says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming into age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Now the key words here are have been enlightened and who have tasted. What does that mean? Okay, enlightened means that you understand clearly the truth, but you still reject it. You know people like that? Or maybe you've done that at times. People tell you something and they prove it to you and you still say, nah, I'm not going to follow that. Or taste maybe is even better. You taste something and you start to experience it and you just spit it out because you don't like it. So what we're talking about is not someone who has allowed Christ into their lives and really received the gift of, of, of eternal life and let it live in them. It's people who have heard it, understood it, clearly the spirit of truth has brought it right to their mind and hearts and they still reject it. They say no to it. They understand it and say no. Or someone who's begun to taste this word of God, this life. Jesus called it the manna of life, right? The manna of God, and they spit it out. You see, the unforgivable sin is rejecting the very grace that saves us. The good news that is our only hope of life. As Paul says, basically... Christ can't go back on the cross. He died once and for all for our sins. And if we reject the cross, that's it. 
And the Holy Spirit, remember we read from Jesus' teaching, is to convict the world of their need for God. Convict the world of our sin and need for God. And if we reject that, we know full well that's what we need, and we reject that, that's the unforgivable sin. If we reject God's mercy, all that's left for us is justice and wrath. I shudder to think that some people do that, yet I have seen it. Now, I I hope and pray that in those people they have not done that ultimately, and they'll ultimately come to know Christ. Our job is never to judge, brothers, but it's to encourage. But just realize the dire consequences of rejecting the gospel and grieving deeply the Spirit. Hebrews 10, 26-29 warns about this. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. But only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled, listen to this, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Now, I don't want to end our message here on a bad note, but uh, we need to hear the caution, and we need to pray against that. And even though we might continue still to grieve and quench the Spirit, let's ask the Spirit to change our hearts and minds and soul and strength that we can love God more and more each and every day and do less and less of those two things that keep us from the life of God and more and more of walking with Him every day, being continually filled with Him that we discover the greater life of God. Amen? Alright, so I've got a few minutes and I said last week I hope that you'll bring some questions about the Spirit. Uh, let's take some questions now. Anyone have some questions you've thought of that you'd like to ask about the Holy Spirit? Yes? Uh, uh, what guidance would you give a believer in and uh, ways of discerning whether the Holy Spirit is leading them to do something. Oh, great question. Question, what... I will. I'm just about to. What... I will do that to each one. What guidance to give believers on how to really make sure it's the Holy Spirit, to discern it's the Holy Spirit that's giving us leading, all right? And that's, that's a fantastic question. Basically, we talk about first we want to be in prayer, We want to lift it up into God and wait upon Him in prayer. To wait for His answer. To not simply respond to things, but to take that proactive step of praying and seeking God's will together. His will be done, not ours, right? As the Lord taught us in the Lord's Prayer. So first, prayer. Constant prayer. And not just that doesn't just happen in the moment. It's just that continued seeking. Uh, I've been asking... uh, We'll get into this in a moment. So first, prayer. Second, the Scriptures. The Scripture really is God's handbook for living. It's the owner's manual. God is the owner. He created us. He knows how we're supposed to live. Follow the scriptures. Really get to know the scriptures. What God wants us to do is in the scriptures. So, prayer, scripture. Third, each other. We have a lot of wise brothers among us. Men we can trust. And if if we find someone you can trust, You don't want to go to anybody, but someone you trust, 
Someone who knows, as they've demonstrated, they've got the Spirit working through them and, and evidence in their life. Talk to them. Ask them that. You know, as a young pastor, we were kind of told, that's the American way, right? You're on your own, buddy. Get out there and do it. That's, that's not true. We don't have to be alone in anything. We've got the Spirit of God with us now. We have each other. So seek out wise counsel. And then, after all that, you can start using fleeces or circumstances. Uh, but not before. People get that mixed up. You know, you know the story of the fleece. I go, uh, don't have time to go too much into this. But uh, Gideon laid out the fleece and said, God, if this is what you want me to do, make the rest of the floor around this threshing floor all wet and make this fleece, this uh, uh, sheepskin, wet and the rest dry. And that happened the next morning, and that wasn't enough for Gideon. And says, okay, well, that worked out well. Everything, everything's dry except the fleece is wet. Let's try it the other way tonight, God. If it's really of you, let's make the fleece dry and the floor wet. The next morning that happened, he says, well, I guess I better do it. Um, that's just an unusual way of living. We don't have to take that kind of extreme. But when we try everything else and truly pray and talk to brothers and read scriptures, and we're still not sure, then we do start praying, God, would you close doors I shouldn't be going through, and would you open doors that I should be? And we let then the circumstance kind of lead us as we walk with the Spirit. What God does is he, he wants us to walk beside him, right? He's not going to give us a whole bunch of instructions ahead of time because he doesn't want our lives to be an instruction. It wants, he wants it to be a walk. So he's going to tell us one step at a time where to go. One turn at a time. Good question. Another question. Yes. Question on the uh, Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yes. Uh, Trinity, I should say. Um, when is it appropriate to pray to one or the other and the timing of that? Yeah. Uh, that's a really great question. The question was, when is it appropriate to pray to the Father, to the Son, or the Spirit? We've got the Trinity, right? Who should we pray to? And the Bible doesn't help us too much with that one. Because it actually confuses it maybe a little bit more, but in a way that is really fun. If you pray into one, you pray to them all. Is really what the Bible is saying. Uh, there are times when Jesus says, pray to the Father. You know, our Father who art in heaven, he teaches that prayer. Other times he says, pray in my name. And other times he says, pray by the Spirit. So you can do any of them and feel free. Is really the, the quick answer to that. It's, it's, there's not one way to do it. Because there, we're, we're praying to God. The whole Trinity, and I can talk a lot about the Trinity. There's a lot of good teaching about how do we understand that there's three gods, three persons in one God. It's fun to think about. There's some fun illustrations. If you're interested in that, I can give that more to you later. Good question. Another question? We've got time for one more. Yes? So this is actually from today's teaching. The verse, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But I don't get the Son of Man in this context. Okay. Jesus... What, the verse we read where it says anyone who speaks against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever blasphemies against the Spirit, that's the unforgivable sin. All right, so again, Jesus came and lived uh, to show us this amazing grace that he wanted to offer us, this amazing life, love of God, and the new life that we can have in him. He lived, he died, he rose, and he said, I need to send you my Spirit now to be with you to help understand and live that out. All right? So a lot of people reject Jesus because they really don't know him that well. It's the Spirit's job, as Jesus said, to convict us of our need for Jesus and his salvation. So a lot of people 
don't know Jesus that well. I mean, even that day when Jesus had the thieves on the cross with him on either side, he said, Father, and then the people who put him to death, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So when, when we come to hear of the good news of Jesus, often we don't understand it yet and we can reject that and uh, we need time. So, and his favorite name for himself was the Son of Man, by the way. When we talk about him, we talk about the Son of Man. The Son of God, the Son of Man. The two divinity, uh, the two personas of Jesus in a way. Fully God, yet fully human. Mixed in one. That's amazing. 200% person uh, being. Wow. Another thing we can spend time talking about. The incarnation, the miracle of that. But it's the Spirit who brings the conviction. And so again... We can say we don't understand Jesus. We can, in our ignorance, we can say we, we, you know, we speak against Jesus. But when the Spirit brings that truth to us and convicts us of that, and, and, and we know that to be truth, and yet we still reject that, that's trampling underfoot the Spirit of God and the grace that God offers us. All right, uh, one more. We're a little into the small group time. I don't want to take too much of your time for that. If you have other times you want to talk to me, uh, let's set up time to get together, ask questions. I'd love to help you. Looking forward in January to come back and, and talking about the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, how we continue to live in the Spirit. Thanks for sharing this morning. And uh, let me pray you out into your group. Lord, as we go into these groups now, lead us by your Spirit who is right here with us each and every day in every moment and situation. Prepare us for this day, this week, this life how we're going to live out your directions for us, Holy Spirit, in your truth. Thank you, Lord, for this great gift of the Spirit with us every day. Amen.